What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Internet's number one success podcast, Into the Mind, where we break down and analyze the characteristics, skills, strategies, and systems of successful entrepreneurs so that together we can learn from their experiences, be inspired by their victories, and replicate their formulas for success. I'm your host, Marlon Johnson, parkour athlete turned entrepreneur and real estate investor, and I am on a mission to help 7.8 billion people achieve success personally, professionally, and financially by empowering their minds and connecting them to the right people. Today, my guest is Benson Juarez. Benson was born and raised out of Denver, Colorado, is a licensed real estate agent, investor, and co-owner of a platform called Privy. Now, Privy is a platform that helps investors locate and find investment deals. And in my opinion, it's the that's easy button of real estate investing. I myself have been playing with it now for about a week or two, and I have to say I am impressed. So I'm excited to talk about it today. But before we get into that, I want to dive deeper into who my guest is. I'm a nerd at heart, and one of my favorite things to do is watch anime, and I love when they have the hero's origin story. So today, we're going to be diving into Benson's origin story, and then we're going to be diving into his platform privy. So Benson, welcome to the show, man. Thank you for having me, Marlon. I appreciate it, man. Love the energy. I'm just, look, I had two (laughs) cups of coffee. I don't even need the cup of coffee I just went and got. (laughs) Let's go. I love it. So Benson, I first off, thank you for being here. I want to dive into your origin story because, you know, people that get to know you now, they are going to see that you're the co-founder of the platform. Your guys' company is doing extremely well. It's being accepted by the community in a very great way. However, that's not where you started. Can you take me back to what got you started in your entrepreneurial journey? Yeah, I mean, it can go way, way back, right? To when I was a little kid and I remember going to the grocery store and buying 10 packs of bubble gum, taking them to school and selling them for like a dollar or two per pack. Right. And just like getting that arbitrage. And even from like a really young age, I had that hustle in me uh, of what, you know, wanting to like make some money on the side. Um, you know, I'm, I guess like my first kind of entrepreneurial experience would have been when I was like 12 years old and I went and like got my own paper out right? Slinging newspapers, went out and it was like getting new houses and, you know, was acquiring other people's routes too. So I could like duplicate myself. And so I, from 12 to like 16, I had my own paper out and um, that's, you know, for a kid, that's like your first chance to really do like a business, right? Because you're the one that's collecting the money and you're the one that's producing the, the service. You know, the product is the newspaper, but if that newspaper is sitting in the sprinklers, right, (laughs) then you're providing a bad service and you're going to hear about it, right? So you got to figure out how to give, you know, a positive customer experience and, you know, how to collect the cash and then how to grow your sphere so you can get more income coming in. And uh, it was just a great learning experience. And it was, for me, it was discipline. Like I was the only one out of my friends group that was getting up at 530 in the morning. Wow. Right. Every single day, you don't get days off. There's no days off when you got a paper out. And for a 12-year-old to have that kind of discipline is, I think, rare. And it, I meet a lot of people who are entrepreneurs that have paper routes. It's a weird thing. It, you know, it's funny that you say that because I'm thinking back in one of my first jobs, like my first ever endeavors was this guy in the neighborhood told me that he would pay me a quarter for every block that I threw the papers out on the on the street. And I was just like, oh, sweet, I can make money doing this. And I started just calculating, well, how many blocks do I need to do if I want to get to five dollars? And so it's really cool that like I, I don't often hear other people that also did the paper route skit when they were growing up. 
Right. And I, I, that's, but it's like a legitimate way of a, of a young person getting into like doing business type stuff. Right. And you don't really have a, a excuse me, a boss, you know, there's no one telling you got to do this. Maybe your parents are involved, but you know, the, the parents aren't waking you up and getting you up and helping you do the newspapers and doing all that sort of stuff. apologize um and then you know there's like a kind of like a root guy who who's kind of keeping general tabs like if there's something goes wrong right there's complaints and they get involved but for the most part you're a pure entrepreneur i i love that so that started at a pretty young age and so at 12 you start to realize like out of your friends you're the one getting up you're going out you're making things happen and i just out of curiosity what was driving that was there just like a just a desire to have money? Like, do you know what was driving it at that point? Sorry about that. No, no worries. That's the fun side, of like the talking recording. just created that. So you can edit <laughs> that piece out. Right. Um, <laughs> so no, I, I, I've thought back to if, if there was like, a moment in time, like an aha moment where there was a trigger that went off that made me want to be an entrepreneur. And I don't, I don't think that ever happened. Uh, at least from what I remember, like sometimes you can get into these groups of people where there people will lead you through like your memory history. And, and sometimes you can find like through these, these led kind of strategies, like these deep down memories that you can unpeel and find. I've never found it. Um, However, it, it was kind of just in me. And my parents weren't entrepreneurs. Like my dad was a police officer for 33 years. My mom was a bank teller for like 30 something years. And so they just, they were grinding too, but it was from a different sense. Like they were grinding from a sense of like, we got to provide for our families. And it's through, you know, going to work nine to five. You know, my dad, to this day, we always celebrate Christmas on Christmas Eve because my dad always had to work Christmas, right? Oh, wow. Thanksgivings were, were whenever we could get them in because my dad was always working during the holidays because that's when he had to work as a police officer. And so I, I think I, I know I saw the work ethic. That was definitely something that was built into me from an early age. But to take that and take that work ethic and translate it into being an entrepreneur, I, I don't know where that came from. But I'm, I'm just I'm really fortunate that it did because I do believe that, you know, you can teach people to do entrepreneur type activities, but I don't think you can really teach someone to be an entrepreneur. It's like, it's, it's in you, right? And you can nurture it and you can develop it and make it a better skill. However, for someone that doesn't have it, they've got a ceiling on how far they can really take it. You know, it's pretty funny. And you kind of like answered a question, which, you know, I have this argument, or not argument, but this conversation in a lot of closed doors with other entrepreneurs. And the question is always, are entrepreneurs born or are they made? And I got to be honest, I'm, I'm going to give an answer that most people will not want to hear. But the answer that is most commonly said among entrepreneurs who are doing things at a very high level is entrepreneurs are born. 
right? You know, very similar to what you said, you can teach somebody else the skills, but it does seem like at some point there is a limitation. There's a roof that they hit. And for whatever reason, it doesn't seem to intrinsically give them value to break through that ceiling. They are not willing to go and be that crazy person that does it, although everything is okay in their life. So I love that. So let me ask after the, so at a young age, 12, you got the paper route. What did that evolve into? Where did that lead you? Where did you go with that? I think then, the, well, the hustle, right? So like, I remember when I was 16, I was looking for all these different ways where I can go and, um, and make money. And it wasn't always being an entrepreneur. Um, it was one second here. Mm-hmm. It was, it was still hustling. So when I was 16, I had my paper out. I got a job as a cashier at this water park. I was driving cars at the, at the, um, the sales car sales lot up the street, John Elway motors. I was driving cars there. And so at one point I had like three or four, like quote unquote jobs where I was just trying to just like rake in money. The biggest reason why I was doing this, because I want to get a, a car. And so my parents were like, if you can, you get the first amount, you get half of it. We'll pay for the other half. And so that for me was like a goal where I could really see something in the future. And I knew what I wanted. And what, what I wanted was a 69 soft top Bronco. Ooh. And I got it. It was, it was the coolest thing ever, man. I got to like go in and it was beat up. Right. So I got to go in and, and you know, turn it into my own. And this is another thing I love doing is working with my hands. So like I went in there, I took the, it took it all apart on the inside. I put new dials in it. You know, I, I, I spray painted with this really cool kind of like um, hammered metallic paint on the dash because it's metal. Uh, and then I, I went in and I put in a hand installed boat um, interior into the whole inside of, of the interior because it's a soft top, right? And man, I wanted that soft top off like 90% of the, <laughs> of the year. So I'd be driving to school with snow, right? But I was like the coolest dude wearing my goggles, you know, and driving <laughs> to school every day and everybody wanted to be in it. We'd all be wearing these big coats with goggles, but I had that boat interior, right? And then um, I went and got it. Uh, I went and got it primered, and then I sanded it all myself. And I took it and had somebody paint it. So I was like hacking along the way, like doing some, you know, giving it sweat equity. It was kind of like a fix and flip, but I didn't flip it. It was a burr on a car, right? <laughs> and then I, I um, you know, we I cut the uh, the wheel wells out to give them like these flares and. I was just like adding my, my own thing to it and did it. I hacked the whole situation. Um, and it was just like one of the coolest experiences. And then I eventually passed it on to my brother uh, once I went on to college and uh, was moving on. And uh, it was like a family car for many, many years. So I, I like that. I want to highlight something because again, this is a theme, especially like for any of my listeners who've listened to previous episodes, they start to see this theme that's with high developing uh, high level entrepreneurs is there's a hustle. There's this hustle in the beginning where, like you said, you're working two, three, four jobs. And I want to highlight that there was a reason for it. There was a goal. There was something of value for you at the end of that. And I, I relate to it heavily. When I was growing up, one of the first few jobs I got, the goal was I wanted to buy my first car. So I was working anytime they would let me overtime. I was like begging them like, hey, come, like, is anyone free? Can I come in Saturday? Can I, can I come in Sunday? Yeah. Working in the restaurant, whatever I could do to make that money. And so I'm curious, after you got that goal, 
right? And you got the car, you're driving around, all your dreams have been realized in these moments. What was like, did you have any issues finding the next thing? Or was the next thing already there lined up for you? For me, the next thing was going to college. Oh, so I I didn't, I didn't have any big entrepreneurial plans at that point. Like, okay, I'm going to be, you know, the next Elon Musk going to be the next whatever, like they just, those people, I didn't know about them if they existed. I'm sure that they did, you know, with social media and everything now, like the young people now are so fortunate to have these people they can look up to and, and model. When I was growing up, you know, and then this point, I, this is like late 1980s, like there's no internet, right? So it's like, who do you see around you? Who's in your sphere? And, you know, I didn't hang around a bunch of entrepreneurs. So the next thing I knew, which was a, a logical step was going to college, right? Now, first thing is I, we couldn't afford college, right? So as soon as I got there, I had to go get a job, right? So I'm working a job while I'm going to school and, you know, I'm a freshman. What do I want to do? I want to go party too, right? So I'm trying to balance school, party and a job and it wasn't working out too well. Like my, my grades were hurting and uh, a friend of mine um, had joined the National Guard, the Air National Guard to pay for school. And so they pay for I think like 70% of your tuition and then they have like a, a good amount of money for books. And then there's some other you know, amount of money that you can get for just paying for things that have to do with school. And um, I'm like, I'm going to do that. So I joined the military, right? But so this is when I was actually, you know, already in school. So I had to make a, a, an investment and really you know, compromise. I, I, I had to take a semester off. But I planned it. I planned it very specifically. I, I, I figured that I could take a semester off and finish all the education that had to go. I, I went in and I was military police for the Air Force. Right? They call it security forces, but military police is the easiest way for people to understand that. And so if I, would to, if I was to start and finish it, I would be able to miss one semester and be back in time for the next semester to start. So I was only going to miss the summer too, right? Um, so I went and, and I went to San Antonio, uh, did my basic training, and then I went to Fort Dix for my infantry training, and then I went to the police academy back in San Antonio. But here's, here's what happened. When I was in Fort Dix, um, I blew my knee out on a, on a march, and, uh, and I was doing really well, right? I was doing really well. I was excelling. I was a um, squad leader. You know, you, you get to, you know, get little mini ranks within you know, where we were at. And uh, with this knee thing, I was gonna have to go to this thing called Zulu flight. This is where all the injured people would go. And I knew if I went to Zulu flight, I wasn't going to get out of there anytime soon. And so I was going to miss my window to get back to school. So talk about hustling. My hustle at that point was to find (laughs) painkillers and get through the rest of the marches and the runs and all the, the physical education tests we had to pass. And so I was just like in massive pain, taking painkillers so I could avoid going to Zulu flight. Because if I were to go there and they knew I was injured, I wasn't gonna be back in time for school. That's what my hustle was at that point. And I did it. I actually finished top of my class wow. out of all, all the people that were in my class. And I got to do like a, a big speech at the end. It was really cool. Um, and then I got back to school in time and went back into, you know, getting my degree in computer information systems. 
So I got to highlight something there, right? And this is critical because it's something I talk about a lot, especially on this channel, which is you set a plan, right? So you actually, you sat down, you thought about where you wanted to be. You thought about what you wanted to accomplish and you created this plan and you didn't allow excuses to get in the way. Like, all right, college is really expensive. I figured out I could go to the military. So I'm going to go get into the, I'm going to go get into the armed forces. I'm going to go and get these scholarships funds. And then upon setting out on that plan, roadblocks came up, right? Mm -hmm. The knee getting blown out. You couldn't have thought that was going to happen. And instead of saying, well, let me change the target. Let me change the destination. No, you adjusted the plan on the fly, which is really, it's, that's a crude critical skill in order to be able to build anything of noteworthy success. So you were able to push through, you were able to graduate on time. You got your degree in computer engineering. You said computer information systems, computer information. Yeah. Systems. So what it is, it's a, uh, it's a very unique uh, I, I guess, major where you are the, the business person who knows how to code. Half the curriculum is coding. Half the curriculum is marketing and finance and management. So you're, you know, the best of both worlds and you actually are, you're doing like system design and you're communicating the business requirements for an application to the, the developers that don't know how to speak business. So, you know, both languages, you translate what the business person wants to the developers so they can build it properly. That's a pretty unique seat to have. And it, it's foreshadowing essentially what was to come with Privy. So when you were yep. getting into that major, what was your thought process? What were you thinking you were going to do with that major back then? I really didn't know because it took me about a year and a half to find it. I first was mechanical engineer and I realized I, don't, I didn't have the head for it. And the next thing I went into was this thing called uh, construction management, which was like, I always thought I would be involved in building things, right? I, when I was really little, I had a drafting table and I would draw buildings and I would, you know, design floor plans. And I was really into that sort of thing. So I knew I wanted to be involved in building homes or, you know, buildings in some way. Um, and so that, that's where, you know, the engineering, mechanical engineering part came out of it. Uh, I wanted to go to an architecture school but I didn't have the grades to get into Colorado or uh, CU. So I went to Colorado State, which they didn't have an architecture school. And I thought the next best thing would be mechanical engineering. And it wasn't even close <laughs> to what I wanted to do. And then that's why I went to construction management thinking that was another thing that didn't work. And then I'm thinking, okay, well, if I'm going to be, uh, one of the things I did in, in high school was called CAD, computer-aided design. Mm -hmm. So we did, I would build houses using computers when I was in high school or design them. Um, so that was in my head too. And so I was like, okay, computers, right? Ended up getting the degree. Um, but before I actually finished and graduated, I started another company while I was in school. So I was really interested in, in working out and, um, you know, building muscle and just being fit. And so, you know, I would take supplements. I go to GNC and I get like my protein powders and my creatines and all that sort of stuff. And, uh, you know, I, I became kind of an expert in how to take those things. And all my friends were, you know, asking me for advice. And so I would build like meal plans for people and, you know, help them out with workouts. And I don't remember how it happened, but I started buying products from some guy that lived in Colorado Springs because I could get it like half the price, like wholesale price. So I was just doing it for myself. And I'm like, then I started buying it for my buddies. And then I'm like, wait a second, I'm wholesaling here. Like, I need a location. So I actually, actually, before I had a location, 
I was walking around to all the fraternity houses and taking orders. What do you guys know? So I was just, I had a checklist and they'd be like, okay, we want 10 creatines. We got 20, you know, protein powders. And then I drive down to the Springs, which from before Collins, like a four hour drive. And then I'd pick it up and I'd take it up there and I'd sell it. And then I got a pager. <laughs> I got a pager and they'd page me. Hey man, I need some creatines. I, I felt like I was, you know, slinging some drugs, but it was all legit. Right. And at that point, that's when I figured I needed a location. So I opened up uh, like a retail location, just had those shelves all stocked with products, everything from vitamins to creatines and proteins and, you know, thermogenics or weight loss products. But I provided the, the consultation that went along with it. So I'd give them a meal plan. I'd, give, I'd tell them, um, here's a workout plan for losing weight. Here's a workout plan for, you know, an athlete, right? So you can run faster, jump higher. Here's a workout plan if you want to build muscle. Right. So I, and it was called one-on-one nutrition is what we called it. So that's really cool. So I, again, like I got to highlight something that I'm seeing, which is you had this really cool ability of taking action because you're talking about like that hustle of just going down, picking up the orders, then going and figuring out, Hey, you know, if I go and walk and ask other people what they need and I can create this list, I could go get this stuff in bulk. You know, it wasn't you, you, figured this out by naturally going and just taking the action. And I want to like say that as loud as people can hear it, because there are some people that are thinking, man, but like, shouldn't I just have it all figured out? Like at the very start? Well, what I'm hearing is you're a young man that was trying multiple different things that, I mean, even your college career, your college resume was all right, first I'm going to try this and then I'm going to try this. And then, you know, this doesn't quite fit. And you just kept taking action until you landed on something that began to work for you. Yeah. So you get your degree, you've got this brick and mortar business. And where did this, where did it take you? Because eventually you ended up in real estate. Like how did you even, you know, get from computer science and supplements to real estate? I understand that like when you were younger, you were drawing the renderings and you're doing that, but where did that transition happen? There was still some time for me to fill things out. Right. So after, well, during college, um, I opened up another location. So I had another retail location in Denver. And then I combined forces with another guy who had a store and we created a brand. Um, so then we started opening up more stores. So we eventually got to six locations. Wow. Um, five of them in Colorado, one in California. And the goal was to just start opening these up all over the place. Right. Um, but that's about the time when the internet of things was really starting to get big, right? Like people were buying stuff from the internet. So now you didn't have to come to a store to buy protein. You could order it from the internet. And so where we had the corner or the market kind of cornered, right? More than like a GNC, right? Who It was just, you know, people who didn't know would go to GNC, right? Because they didn't, they didn't know what they wanted. Um, but people who knew would come to me, right? Because I could give them the advice and, you know, we, we could talk shop, right? And that was part of it. It was like, it was a community. Like we were already building communities at that point. And we knew that, if you're around a lot of people that were doing similar things and, you know, there was kind of like this collective genius that came out of it. And um, until I just said that, I didn't even, I forgot about that part of it. <laughs> it's funny. I was going to ask you, cause I mean, like, 
to me, like I see community and I can't not see it anywhere now. It's like once right. you're once you in on the secret and you realize like a part of building anything big and sustainable is building community around your product, building community around your brand. So now when I look at businesses that aren't doing that, I'm like, what are you guys doing? Like you guys are knuckleheads. And yeah. so I'm curious back then, were you consciously aware that you were building community? Or I was wasn't it just like, wow, I was just in the middle of it. Right. So we, we made t-shirts, right. And we give them out. And then you'd be like half the people in the gym are wearing one-on-one t-shirts. Right. And it just became like this cool thing. Like if you had a one-on-one t-shirt, then you were part of something. And then, um, you know, and then we go out to the parties and we went to the, uh, you know, I'd go to the fraternity. I wasn't in a fraternity, but the door was open for me. I could go into any fraternity or most of them. Some of them didn't like me, but I could go into some of these fraternities and like, I was like their brother, right? Because I was like, you know, I was in their communities as well. And so there was, there was some crossover there. Um, but anyway, to get away from that for a moment. Um, so I was still in the military at this point. Right. And my, my brother at the time, he actually followed in my, my path. So he went and got, um, he joined the national guard too, the air national guard. So we were in the same unit together. Um, and so what we would do is we would volunteer in the summers and on breaks to go to like all these, on these deployments. So I got to go and travel Europe and I got to go to Germany and Italy and Kosovo, went to the Caribbean twice for quote unquote drug interdiction missions. So we were doing like these cool things and, you know, if, without the military, I wouldn't have been able to go to school number one, or even do any sort of travel. Cause we didn't have the money to do it. My parents didn't have the money to even barely, you know, help with school. Um, but we made it happen. But then um, once the internet started to get big, I decided it was time to kind of move on from the one-on-one nutrition and figure out what was next. So I'm like, what do I do? Well, for me, the next logical step was to go get a master's degree in business. So I went back to school you know, went and took a GMAT, got all that out of the way. And, um, you know, school started, you know, second week of August or first, you know, that sort of thing. And then right after that, if you think about it, it was 9-11. So 9-11, 2001, I was in um, grad school and um, it happened. So right away, we know we're getting activated to active duty. And so I got, I had to get out of school go to the base, take all my crap with me. And we got deployed. And so we got sent over to um, a place called Kosovo. It's not in the middle East, but you know, there was troop movements all over like reorganization of troops. And um, so I was there for five months well, with my brother um, in Kosovo. And, but it was a two year stint we had to do. And so when we weren't there, uh, we had one other deployment in Germany but the most of the time I was spending time at um, Buckley Air Force Base in Aurora in Colorado, where we had assets and um, things that we had to do on a day by day basis. So the story is that while I was doing those things, I was listening to Carlton Cheat CDs <laughs> and, um, and Robert Allen. And um, it, I was just kind of educating myself, reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad, right? At the same time. So that's where my kind of connection and passion for real estate really started to come out. Well, is while I was on post trying to figure out what my next thing was going to be. Cause I was thinking, okay, I've got a certain amount of time here to figure it out before, you know, I'm going to be released and I can go back to the real world. 
That's insane. So first of all, for the people that are like, man, Carlton Sheets, Robert G. Allen, like who the heck are those? Like those guys are like the original OGs of creative financing in real estate. Like we're talking no money down strategies. I mean, like these guys were changing. This was before social media. So like they really like those are some best kept secrets that you were tapping into. You know, being able to find out that, oh, wow, we can go out and purchase money, purchase properties for little or no money using this thing called leverage and creative financing. Right. So I love that. I like that your your mind was getting changed and shifted based on just having that time to really consume new education, listen to different voices and have new ideas come into you. So as you were getting this information, you're, you're stationed, you're listening to this stuff in your spare time and your downtime, you got the mm-hmm. tapes going on. What's going through your mind? Are you like, all right, cool. The next thing I'm doing is going out and building a real estate empire or like, where was your head at thinking you were, as you're going to exit the military? Well, I was thinking about you know, doing the practices that were in those tapes and in those books, but more of, I was thinking like, Hey, what's, what's the side hustle I'm going to have. So mean being an entrepreneur, like going to work for the military is the exact opposite of being an entrepreneur, right? It's the, it's the <laughs> complete side of uh, the other side of the coin. And um, so because of the way that our hours worked, we, we worked uh, 12 hour shifts so we'd start at 6 a.m., go to 6, I'm sorry, we started at 6 p.m., go to 6 a.m. Um, so we were, okay, three days on, two off, and or like this one, I was like four on, three off. It was just, it kind of just moved, right? So we would always have, you know, good a number of days. And sometimes it was like three days off right in the middle of the week. And I'm sitting there like, what am I going to do for three days? I'm not gonna, just going to sit around, right? So I'm like, oh, well, what's my next side hustle? And uh, a buddy of mine was selling loans. He was doing mortgage loans. And I'm like, I can do that. So I went and, uh, you know, took this little test, figured out how to sling mortgage loans. And I started doing that during the day before I went to the base. And then I'd do my night shift. I'd sleep for a few hours and then I'd do it again, all over again. So I was making like good cash selling loans. I started doing hard money loans, which is where I really started to get the taste for you know, like fix and flips and that, you know, real estate business. Cause I was I was doing hard money loans for investors that were making a good chunk of change. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, I need to do that too. Right. <laughs> so that's when I started getting in buying, you know, real estate uh, for, you know, rentals, doing some wholesale deals, fix and flips. Um, got licensed as a real estate agent during that time period too. Cause I realized I was paying an agent to sell my properties when I could have been licensed and I would save me 2.8%. So I want to keep that money in house and then also when I was buying properties, make that extra 2.8 so I can, you know, negotiate a little bit harder than somebody that wasn't going to get that 2.8% in their favor. So that time was all around. That's where the real estate business really started to take off for me. Wow. I like that. And it's cool that there was a, a little bit of vertical integration going on there between the mm-hmm. mortgages, between being the agent, between doing the flips. And what's funny is I always wondered this, and you just answered that question of, you know, there are times where I've worked with different lenders and different bankers. And I always wondered like, man, like you're, when I'm paying you off, like you're seeing the HUD, like you see how much profit I'm making. I'm just curious, like, doesn't that make you want to get up and go? And now I see for the right type of person, it does. Right. It absolutely. When they see that, like, wait a second, we made a 12 percent return. This dude just made technically he made an infinite return. Or if you put some of his own cash in, he's probably making like 40, 50, 60 percent return on his money. How do we get in on that side? 
So yeah, that goes back to nature or nurture, right? Like if you're in, if it's naturally in you, then you see that as an opportunity. Whereas somebody else is just like, oh, you know, they don't even notice it, right? Because they're thinking about the next deal. It's all transactional to them. So now you're out, you're, you got the side hustle, you're flipping your slam mortgages, you're starting to flip some properties, you've also got your license, so you're able to collect some of that commission on the back end, which just puts you in a better advantage. Mm-hmm. At what point do we start to introduce, because in I believe it was 2012 is when Privy got started, at what point did that idea for coming up and getting into the software side of things happen? You know, And also, I'm curious, did you, when you were investing, were you investing through that 08 market time? No, that 08 is about where my portfolio took a dump. Um, <laughs> but it was like two, 2005, like 2008 was really like the core of where I was doing the majority of my investing. Um, but during that time, I had started a mortgage company. So I, I, I started a mortgage company where we were, we had an agent, we were agents and we did mortgages. And so we were doing this for a bunch of people at once. Um, and then um, I'm trying to remember like the timeline here. Hey guys, Marlon Johnson here. I hope you're enjoying the episode. We'll get back to it in just a moment. First, I want to say thank you for your continued support. And I'm happy to share with you that we've relaunched MMC. MMC is the millionaire mindset community. If you love these thought-provoking conversations, then you need to be a part of MMC and get in the room with other like-minded entrepreneurs. MMC is a private group where we connect daily to work on ourselves and our businesses. We have daily Zoom calls with other entrepreneurs who are setting goals, collaborating, and doing business together, plus a weekly coaching call from either myself, other coaches, or special guests. Also, being a part of MMC allows you early access to podcasts like this before they air, as well as behind-the-scenes conversation that my guests share. Because I want to make joining MMC a no-brainer, I'm offering listeners a seven-day trial for just $1 by going to mmc.mindsetmarlin.com. Go to mmc.mindsetmarlin.com, and when you register, you'll be able to do a seven-day trial for just $1. And if you don't get value from being in the room with the right people, you can cancel your membership on the sixth day. So what do you have to lose? Go to mmc.mindsetmarlin.com right now and register. Don't wait any longer to change your life. I'll see you in the room. Now back to the episode. I had a business partner that screwed me over, took a bunch of cash and left me with a bunch of property, but took our reserves and disappeared. Uh, So that was at the time when I stopped doing mortgages and I'm like, I'm focusing on real estate. And there's all these foreclosures that were coming down, right? So what I recognized is that a lot of these um, REO brokerages, you know, these um, brokerages that sold sold foreclosures for banks, um, they were getting first look at all the deals. So I'm like, I want first look. So how do I get that? Well, I, I just, again, vertically integrating, right? I went in and put myself in a position to get first look at these houses before they even hit the market. Now, I wasn't able to get these as pocket list. I couldn't buy them as a pocket listing because of the way those contracts are structured, the 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 a managing broker would put himself in, in a bad position if they did that. But I knew about it, right? And I could do all my research and I could get there first. And I could also get there first for either myself or my clients. We had access to the MLS, right? And we had the ability to generate leads because we were we were taking all the calls off the sign. So the, the phones were ringing. 
but there was a limit to the amount of people I could service effectively before I started dropping balls. And so what we realized is like, actually what I realized is I need to go there and be part of this. During this time period, uh, I was at a brokerage called the Mercury Alliance. Mm-hmm. Um, not like a big chain, but they were one of the major companies in Colorado that had a lot of bank uh, listings. Uh, a guy by the name of Scott Fall also joined the, the brokerage and he ends up being my partner now with Privy. But the, the idea of Privy was really born out of, of his systematic approach to how he was going in and looking at every new property in the market every morning and creating like what he would call a hot sheet. And it was every property he thought was a deal. And he would take those to his clients and then say, here's all the deals today. But again, there was only so much they could do. So we're sitting in these cubicles and we're throwing ideas around about like how we could automate this process. And it turned into a data play. But the data wasn't available then. This is before uh, what's something called RETS, Real Estate Transaction Standard. It was a, um, an initiative that came down from the National Association of Realtors to basically standardize data nationwide between all of the MLSs so that they could create products like we do today, which we find so standard. But then it wasn't a thing. Like every MLS had different data structures and, and different fields. And then there was no, you couldn't really put them together effectively. And so, um, you know, the first time that we went to the National Association, I'm sorry, to um, RE Colorado, which is the MLS there, they basically said, no, you know, go pound sand. And then NAR pushed, pushed the initiative out and then they reached back out to us um, to say, you know, do you want to be the beta company to launch this na- for statewide? And that was the beginning of, of all of it right there. That's freaking insane. So I, I like that. You know, I like that. It's pretty funny, actually. I think that everything that came to you came from this. You were in a position where you had gone out, you started doing something and you ran into a roadblock. And ultimately, you were overcoming your own obstacles. You're overcoming your own challenges, which later allowed you to serve others. Right. You know, you get into the place of fitness and you're like, hey, I need to go get protein. I need to go get creatine. I need to get this stuff. So you're solving your own problem and then realizing, hey, we can serve others who have the same challenge. Now you're in this place in the real estate investment space and you guys are out there hunting for deals and you're figuring out, hey, we need to be able to systemize finding these deals, systemize yeah. being able to go through and figure out which the best ones are. You created a system for it. You created a platform for it. And now you're able to spread it out to others. So you're able to get access now to the MLS back then. And you're able to. So this is where essentially Privy started to get its inception. It really was from being able to go inside there, find the hottest deals. And what were you defining as the hottest deals? Was it just based off of? Like the the number, like what was the data that you were looking at? It, that was it was margins. It was comparing, you know, the price of the comps to the to the ask price of the house, right? So just looking for discounts, nice. right? But but that was all being done manually, you know, prior to that. The interesting thing that happened at that point is that before um, Scott came to the office, or maybe even during a similar time, I had started to do investing in tech companies. So I was doing uh, angel investing into kind of some, you know, some companies here and there. Um, you know, I invested in a nutraceutical company, a, a tech company, um, you know, some other kinds of things that I was interested in because I had some disposable income. And I'm not the kind of guy that just goes and buys crap. <laughs> you know, I'm not buying jet skis or boats or anything like that. Like, you know, houses, right? That's what I was spending money on. But I saw another 
you know, vertical there, which was, okay, invest in companies, early stage companies, and then really take part in the back end if there's going to be an exit. Um, and so I invested in another company out in California called Clout. And uh, it was a, f- a fintech company, financial uh, mm-hmm. technology company. And so um, the guy who I gave, I met that guy in college, the one that started that company, he was, he was a friend of mine. And I invested in, in his company and he raised like a million bucks. And he's like, hey, man, come out to California and help me run this thing. And um, I was like, all right. <laughs> so I moved out to California um, to help run this you know, fintech company. Well, you know, I, w- I was talking with Scott and Scott's like, I'm taking this thing. I'm going to do it. I'm like, cool. Well, you know, he, I'm like, well, what do, what do you need? And he's like, well, money, obviously. So I was actually, before I was in, in operations and, you know, doing every, the everyday stuff, I was basically one of the first investor in the company. And then I went to California to run, help run clout and take that to the next level. And then Privy started to, to get, take, you know, some form. And uh, he found this amazing developer named Doug Hayes, who is still with us today. And he's just like, oh, he's amazing. Absolutely amazing. Up until four months ago, he was our only developer. It was just me, Scott, and Doug up until like literally like three or four months ago. Wow. Yeah. That's impressive because that platform, I got to say, man, like Privy is <laughs> It is by far one of the easiest platforms to, to use. I mean, the learning curve on it was next to nothing. And I remember yeah. like when I was getting used to like prop stream, I played around with a few different MLSs. Like it's just, the other ones definitely took way more time. This was very intuitive. So shout out to him for developing that. That's insane. Oh yeah. And my partner, Scott is really like the visionary to like, you know, taking, you know, the, remember the business requirements, right. And conveying those, Right. And then I would take the feedback from our users and be like, and they'd be like, Hey, we want this and we want that. And then we're trying to prioritize and then, you know, getting all that put together and communicating it to Doug so he can build it was, was, you know, fun to do. But, um, you know, now, you know, the company's come a long way. Eventually I, w- I was lured back to Colorado by Scott and he's like, we're really taking off, man. Like, I need you here. And I was finishing up. I was fully vested in my project out in California. And I was time for, it was, I was ready for something new. And it was like the perfect opportunity to come back to Colorado and really just help push Privy forward. Um, and now, you know, I've been, you know, fully operational with Scott and him and I and Doug for um, almost eight years. Wow. So let's talk about that, right? Because now Privy... So you're now, it's eight years back. So what's that? 2014, right? Mm-hmm. And about tw- around that time. And you're coming back and you're joining in the Privy. And what was the vision? Like what, I'm curious to know, like what was the, almost like the pitch that got you to come back and be like, all right, I'm, I'm all in on this. You know, it, part of it was like using it, right? So I was still investing and I was still working with clients remotely back in Colorado. I wasn't as deep into it as I was because I was, you know, fix and flipping a company, right? That's that's how I was viewing it. Um, and so I was like, man, this is amazing. You know, so I always knew that there was something really exciting there, but until it was built, right? And it took some time for, for them to build it and get it from like, you know, spreadsheets to something else. Um, 
it was once you actually I actually got to use it and see the flow. I was like, oh my god, this is game changing, right? Because you know, before that, it was just kind of like an idea, and then once it's right there in front of you, it's like a, a light went off, and it didn't take much convincing um, to actually come back because I knew like my my money was in it, right? And then now I'm like, okay, well, I'm coming back. Like, let's let's figure out a you know a partnership package that makes sense right where i can come back and and we're you know everybody's you know excited every day to move forward right and, and to contribute and um and we got that done um and then we just started to to you know get it out there right so our initial way that we were exposing it was working through real estate investment associations rias right so we went to like the local rias and then we were doing it through there and we were working with real estate um agents and real estate brokerages, um, you know, finding investor focused brokerages that really were looking in to work with investors. Um, and then after that, then we, we were able to kind of move it to other states. So, you know, getting access in, in multiple markets. And then we actually literally just launched nationwide by acquiring the county record and public record data set uh, about a year ago, a little bit over a year ago. So that's how long we've been nationwide was that long ago. And, since then, we've been really pushing hard on launching more direct to MLS data feeds. And uh, now we're like over 70, which people are like, oh, is that a lot? Or is a, it's, it's, it's a good amount, but we still have a lot of work to do because you, yeah, you can't I mean, I, go. I just, I just got the email from you guys like two nights ago. I think it was yeah. that you, uh, you got MLS access out here in some parts of the new parts of the Arizona market. Cause I believe you had it down in Tucson I believe mm-hmm. new parts of Arizona opened up with MLS data. Yeah. The greater Phoenix area. So Scottsdale, Tempe, you know, Phoenix, it's, it's a really large area. Some of the other, you know, outskirts. Um, and so, you know, there's, there's third party MLS, which we've, we've had since we went nationwide and it's aggregated, right? So you're getting updates, but it's just not as often you don't get the photos, uh, you're not getting like status updates as often as if you were getting direct MLS, and, but people have kind of gotten used to that because that's what like the prop stream and the batches of the world have is that third party and it's been kind of normalized. So that's really where we see an opportunity to to separate ourselves from the pack is to give people the the best data that's available um, by you know building a platform where we've got these investor focused agents who are looking for investors to work with. And investors are looking for investor-focused agents. So with our platform, we're able to put these people together where for many, many years, there was kind of an imbalance in the force, if you will, because agents really had the onus of doing the majority of the comping, of searching for deals, you know, analyzing the property, sending them to their clients. And then their clients just really had to be like, okay, yes, write an offer, right? And so with that imbalance, there was some unreasonable expectations about what their roles were and some really some negative feelings. Like I've heard, I've heard investors say, I hate agents. I've heard agents be like, I don't like working with investors. They waste my time. But with our platform, it kind of levels the playing field and it takes some of the onus off of the agent. And now the investor can be like, Oh, I can run comps on my own properties. I can find the deals. I can go and be like, okay, here's all the properties that, that I like let's write offers on these. I've already vetted those out. I've already done, you know, the analyzation and now they just send to the agent, the agent's just writing the offer. Right. So it's, it's creating an environment where 
the expectations are more understood and there's equal benefit to it. It's a win-win more with the way our platform is designed. I love it. And, you know, like to, to put that like out for like if someone's a new investor, right, I want them to understand that it means like you can go out and essentially you can start to look at deals and you can start to in a very short period of time begin to learn what good deals look like, be able to run your numbers. Because in the past, you're absolutely right. When investors are getting started and they're being told, hey, go talk to these agents and tell the agents what you're looking for, they don't realize how much work they've been asking agents to do in the past, to go out there and to comp property after property after property because all the investor is doing is looking at the address, shooting it over and saying, hey, give me numbers on this one. Hey, give me numbers on this one. Hey, give me, you know, that's 15 minutes every single time an agent's got to sit down and do that. 15 minutes is conservative. That's that's (laughs) like a short amount of time. I've been in the business for 20 years and it can take me an hour plus with direct MLS data. I mean, my own MLS access to properly comp a property out. And so just imagine, you know, the average investor who's like, I mean, they don't have the experience. They were taught by some guru, go and, you know, skip trace some cold call and knock on doors and do lead gen. And they spend all this time and all this money looking for deals, you know, off market deals. And then they finally get a lead and they don't know what to do with it because they don't know what a deal looks like. They haven't done any of the real estate side of the education. Really, they haven't done any education, right? They're just doing like, okay, I'll get this service. I'll get this service. I'll skip trace this. And they're, they're hacking, but to what end, right? Now they get something that's viable lead and they don't know how to run comps. They don't know what to offer because they don't know what their buyers want or they don't know what a deal looks like. So they throw out lowball offers, hoping that something sticks. And then now they're just wasting time. Or maybe they lock a property up and they lock it up way higher than they should. And then they go and they market it and no one wants it and they don't want to understand why. So with Privy, essentially that problem was solved, right? Now they have a software, they have a tool. And what I do like, again, like, cause I, again, I was impressed. What I like is you offer, you guys offer so much education and training, not just on the software itself, but also on the understanding of how to properly utilize it and go out and be an investor, how to look at deals, how to analyze your market, things of that nature. In fact, I, you know, I know you and I were talking about this offline where we'll do a a training for people because I, I want people to really see this thing in action. But before they see it in action, I wanted them to get to know you. Because I'm always a huge believer of working with companies where the people genuinely care, that there's there's a, a go-giver mentality about you. And I, I see that in everything you do. In fact, I remember the very first time you and I were talking, you were explaining that, hey, you know, like a part of when you were, you know, allowing people to try Privy, you were incentivizing them by giving them so much training. And when you were explaining the amount of training you were giving to people, I was like, holy moly, man, like you're literally giving away what people charge 20, 30, $40,000 of education for. And you were like, yeah, mm-hmm. but it's going to help them achieve their goals. It's actually going to help them grow their business. You're not just throwing out, hey, here's a hammer, go figure out how to build the house on your own. You're actually saying, hey, let me show you how to look at the schematics, look at the blueprint. Hey, let me show you how to properly utilize this hammer so that you can build because ultimately their success is your success. 100% true. It all comes back, right? So if you over deliver there and they have massive success, then well, number one, they're going to continue to use the service and you know, hopefully they're going to tell their friends. 
Marlon, for a long time, it was like this weird, like anti-viralness that was going on with Privy because we hadn't really come out from behind the curtain yet. We were still trying to, you know, fly below the radar in a sense, because we didn't think that the platform where it was where it needed to be technologically for us to really appeal to the masses. And so without going and doing like a bunch of like marketing, we were still hoping people would share it with people, but guess what happened when they, when they realized the power of the platform, they were keeping it close to the vest because it was their secret weapon. And they didn't want to tell their friends or family because they literally realized like, this is my edge. If I use this software, then I'm going to be able to beat people to the deal. I'm going to be able to analyze it faster and more effectively than the competition. I'm going to be able to write better offers and win more deals and get more closings because I'm leveraging this technology that really is a game changer. Like there is not another platform. Our competitors, a lot, they do great things. You know, Batch and PropStream and who, you know, everybody else, they all do something well. But there is no platform out there that has patent pending technology that will literally just pluck deals off of a, a tree that will make you twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollars assignment fees because of the way our algorithm is identifying the best places to look for deals where all the ingredients exist that you need to, to assemble a deal. And when I say assemble a deal, like you literally have the power to assemble the deal if you use the the, the data the way it was designed to be used. Like when they when they say location, location about real estate, it's way more important than what people hear. Location is like, okay, well, you're across the street from, you know, a park, right? Like that is what people think about. When I say location is if you're looking to do a fix and flip or burr or wholesale or, or even like rentals, if you're doing anything that's based off of a percentage of after repair value, you literally cannot prove after repair value if you're in an area where no one's doing flips. So you have to be very intentional about where you look for deals locationally. And that helps you to assemble all the ingredients that you need to be able to build a deal, which is the buyers, if you're wholesaling, or the retail buyers where an appraiser will actually use fix and flip properties to prove value. Um, Investor-focused agents, um, all of the local market education so that you can know what a deal looks like by just reviewing what other investors have already done. You can see what they bought it for. You can see what they sold it for. You can see how much money they made, what percentage of ARV they bought it at. So you know what a deal is. There's a lot of really good coaches and mentors out there that provide great education, but none of them can tell you what a deal is in Tampa today versus Philadelphia versus Dallas versus Minnesota because it changes. The only thing they can tell you that is the data. So what we're extracting from this information is actionable info through our comparative market analysis uh, technology. So you can see what a real deal is and take action today and feel confident and take an action and not sit on the sidelines because you don't know what a deal looks like. That's huge. I mean, like someone, like if you're listening to this, you need to rewind that like last two minutes and really reabsorb that because you're talking about making data driven decisions. You're making decisions based off of the data because one of the biggest things I think, especially when new people are stepping into this industry, they fall into the thinking, the stinking thinking of, hey, I have to do the deals in my backyard though, because I'm local to the area. It's the only way I'll be able to do this and do that. But what if you're in an area like Los Angeles or you're from Denver, Colorado? That's a tough, tough market. I was from New York, right next to Manhattan, one of the toughest markets to break into if you're a new investor and you're still just trying to get your way. Maybe you're trying to wholesale. Maybe you're trying to get in on a fix and flip. 
if you go with the data, and this is what I love, because you not only talk about this, but you actually show it and you show how your platform lets you do this very, very easily, where in the past, this was kind of tough to do. It was possible, but it just took a lot of digging to go get the data to find out where to be. You can actually look at the data and let the data tell you what market you should be marketing in, what market you should be building your business and your relationships in. And it shows you in real time, which I think is probably the most valuable thing, because this is a market that's constantly changing. This is an industry that changes with time. Like Florida is blowing up like nobody's business, but who's to say 10 years from now, it's going to be doing the same. Who's to say 10 months from now, it will be doing the same. You want to be able to move with the market. I'm going to dig where there's gold underneath my feet. So I think we're definitely going to need to do a a sit down where we actually pop open Privy Live and show this to people. And I want them to be able to see it in real time, in action, how the system is changing the game. Because like, I got to tell you, like I, again, I played with it for about a week and I've already, yesterday I had agents hitting me back up, reaching back out to me. And this was me totally just playing, going into brand new markets I had never been in based off of the data, based off where it was showing me, hey, these are deals that were listed on market at 65% of ARV. 60. It took me about five minutes to go and find that. And then another five or 10 minutes to call the agent and talk to them. And the agents were reaching back out to me saying, hey, the buyer fell out. We're still interested. What do you want to do? Mm. And I was just like, holy crap, like this was like an afternoon of playing with a brand new software. This thing is game changing. It is. And we, we've talked a lot about agents um, because, of, you know, I think that's some of the low hanging fruit is is on market properties where the seller is already raised their hand and said, yeah, I want to sell. Right. So many people who get in this business, they're, they're searching for motivated sellers, but they're ignoring the obvious source of, of motivated sellers, which is people who have put their house on the MLS. Now, all you have to do is just find the property at the right price in the right areas that matches what you want or what a buyer wants, and then you connect the dots. Now, we still have all of the off-market lead sources. Like you can still export lists. You can do list stacking. You can um, you know, find, uh, we got, our system is probably the best um, at finding active buyers. And knowing what their buy box is by looking at the data, um, but if you if you want to go and, and you want to target pre foreclosures, don't do it willy nilly with where you live. Still use that local market intelligence to make sure you're marketing in those proper areas, because what happens if you get a, a callback off, say like a mailer that you send out from a list you pull from Privy for pre foreclosures, and it's in an area where there's fix and flip activity around it, you can immediately offer twenty to thirty percent more on that house. And still make your margins work because the fixed and flips are the ones that, that turn that into a deal. That house that's in foreclosure is not a deal unless the fixed and flips around it are present at the right price. That's so powerful. So I, I love that. We're going to have to dive deeper into that in the future. So I'm looking forward to that. Now, Benson, I want to bring it back to, I want to ask you these three questions. I want to be respectful of your time and I want to start to wrap this up. The first question I want to ask is, as you went through a lot of different parts and chapters of your own life, going through the, the newspapers, going through the, the proteins, going through college, military, stepping into the tech, you had a lot of experiences. What were some of the best lessons you learned, right? Because lessons typically come from mistakes that or perceived mistakes. But what were some valuable lessons that you picked up when you look back and you're like, you know what? 
I'm grateful I went through that because it took going through that to become who I am. I mean, two things come to mind. Um, the first thing is, you know, when we go through these entrepreneurial endeavors, you know, we've, we've got some painful experiences, but I legitimately had a, a painful experience when I had my knee situation when I was going through um, uh, the boot camp training uh, out in Fort Dix, like, like pain beyond pain, right? So I was literally like changing my, the way my mind works to be able to, to break through that. And coming out of that, it made me realize I can do anything. Like if I can overcome that, the physical pain, then a little like emotional, like pain of getting someone's t- telling me no over the phone or like, you know, some sort of a, a thing didn't work out. Like that's all in my head. If, if So I learned a bunch about myself during, during that time period. And at a young age, I was like 20. No, I was actually younger than that. Um, that would have been uh, 18, 18 years old. Um, and then the second one is during the downturn in the market in 2008, when I lost a bunch of my houses because of, you know, being, you know, over leveraged and not planning properly. And then all of a sudden now we're into this big market where I had a big financial loss. I wasn't prepared to take advantage of all of the opportunities that came out of the whole foreclosure thing and all all the REOs. So I was still trying to do some stuff there, but I wasn't as prepared as I am now. Like now, like I welcome a downturn in the market. Now, I don't want anybody to get hurt financially, but it's going to happen. So anybody who's listening is like this right now is the best opportunity in the last three decades to be able to get involved in real estate and make good amounts of money, regardless of what your strategy is, whether it's fix and flip or wholesale or short-term rentals or long-term rentals or you know, creative deal structure. You know, those are all opportunities there. It's just never been easier. And then with a platform like Privy, where we're doing 90% of the work for you and we're actually giving you information that will help you become a local market expert faster than ever before in history, where the only way you could learn a market in the past was to actually go and do deals and make mistakes. Now with, with Privy, you're a local market expert in half a day and you can take action and feel confident about those because you got the data that indicates you what a deal is today in today's market and tomorrow if it's different you'll know that too that is powerful so i want to reiterate and highlight those two things one you learned through going through some sort of a form of suffering right that you are capable of so much more going through adversity that you are capable of doing so much more and someone needs to hear that right now because there is somebody that is thinking man the the burden of what i'm trying to do right now is just too damn challenging and i feel like i'm going to break and i feel like i'm going to quit know that you are capable of so much more when you're at that breaking point it usually means that there's probably another 40% left in the gas tank when you feel like this is all you got to give. I love that. And then also recognizing that, hey, back in 08, when you lost everything, when you were over leveraged, that you recognize, hey, this was just poor planning, right? So not that, hey, downturns mean we all fail. It just means I didn't properly account for this. And gearing up for what looks like, you know, what data indicates or get signifies that this might be another downturn coming in the future, right? No one has the crystal ball, but it feels like the data is saying that we're going to start to see a correction in the market. And during those corrections are opportunities to build wealth if you properly align yourself with that opportunity. So, 100%. I'm excited uh, for that. 
Me too. Oh. Me too. And, and so everybody just, just prepare yourselves, like get out of your own way, get out of your own head. Um, I would definitely focus on the inner game a lot more than you, you are, or that you think you need to, because you could have privy, you could have all the best tools, you could have the best mentors, you could have everything in place that the average person would need. But if you don't feel like you deserve it, or if you've got challenges with, with money, or you got, um, you know, limiting beliefs, those are going to be the things that stop you. Not what list you've got, not if you've got privy or not, or who your mentor is, it's going to be your limiting beliefs. Man, I love that. You're you're preaching to the right audience right now, man. That's why the show is called Into the Mind, because it's the mindset that we have to cultivate more than anything else. So speaking on that, I know you said earlier in the career, you read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, you were listening to Carlton Sheets and Robert G. Allen. So those sort of audios and books were helping change your paradigm. So can you name one, but no more than two other books that were total paradigm shifts for you that after you read them, you never quite went back to thinking the same and you can't use rich dad poor dad again because you already used it once yeah i think it's you know it's the whole you know experiential learning aspect um and and kind of you know putting things out into the universe that whole thing i've, I've actually been able to to do that in practice with um i it well, it's been a couple of years but volunteering with at-risk youth um we had i found this organization called colorado youth at risk that took a lot of the, the, the practices from uh, Napoleon Hill and, and taught it to, to young people to where they could shift their paradigm and put things out into the universe and really just start to implement a lot of those things through, they could learn through by going through these, uh, they call it experiential learning, like intentionally putting people in situations where they, they have to change their paradigm. Um, so I, I think Think and Grow Rich is probably the most important book for that. I love that. It's one of my favorite books. And that book was given to me by one of my early mentors. And I I thank him every day for it. So I love that. So let me ask this final question. I want you to imagine, Benson, that tomorrow you wake up and as you're coming to consciousness, as you're coming, you know, just into your day, you are a blank slate. You don't remember anything. You don't remember the experiences you had from 12. You don't remember college, the friends you've made, the investments you've learned about, the books, privy, none of it. It's all gone from your mind. Now, you're not freaking out. It's not a Saw movie. You're not scared for your life or anything like that. And as you you sit up and you just kind of look out into the day, a thought does come to your mind. And this thought, when it comes to you, you don't question it at all. I mean, you accept it fully, 100%, no doubt. Nobody can talk you out of this thought. No one can convince you that this idea is wrong. What would you prefer for that first thought to be that would essentially lay the foundation for everything else to come? Hmm. I think it would be that I know that my, uh, that my, my family's good. They're healthy. They're happy and they're doing the things they want to do. I love that. So Benson, I want to say thank you so much for being here today. 
I want to say I really appreciate you giving your time, you sharing your story. I didn't know as much about you. Now I feel like I know you so much better, which is absolutely amazing. And I'm looking forward to us doing a deeper breakdown on the software itself and showing people how it works. Now, for the people that are interested, I mean, they just listen to this and they're like, dude, I don't even need to see a demo. Sign me up. Get me in on this. How do I go and get privy? How should they go about finding privy? And also, how should they go about connecting with you? Well, I would say um, our website is a great place to go. Um, Getprivynow.com. Marlon, you probably could put something in the show notes where they can, you know, get easy access to a link or something like that. Um, that would be the, the best place. There's, you know, some little mini demos you can see that will show you kind of how the system works. And you can, you know, look at some testimonials from people who use Privy and are being highly successful with it. So that's what I would say is, uh, is you know, look for a link in the show notes or go to our website. Awesome. And guys, I'm going to put that down in the description below. So it'll be one click away for you. It'll be super easy to go get plugged in. And then if you're on my Instagram, there'll be a link inside my Instagram. You guys already know I always support things that are really bringing value to you, to your business and to your life. And Benson, if the people want to connect with you, are you on social media? Are you on YouTube? Where should they go? I am. So um, if you go to Instagram, it's Benson underscore REI. Um, and then, um, also on TikTok, same handle, uh, Benson underscore REI. And then I've got a YouTube channel. It's, uh, where we put a lot of our content for privy. So if you just Google privy real estate investment, um, or go into YouTube, you'll find a ton of content there. Uh, lots of stuff where we use the software live to find deals and some cool, uh, videos and training. Um, those are three places you can get more information about me and about privy. Awesome. So guys, I'm going to have all of Benson's contact and info down below everything for the social media. Go ahead and click that link. Be sure to give him a follow and do me a favor. If you got any value at all from this episode, I want you to screenshot yourself listening to this, tag us on social media and let us know what was your biggest takeaway. I want to hear from you what your aha moment was. Was it when you found out that Benson went through many different majors in college? Or was it when you found out that he found partners that he had met in an earlier part of his life that came back later on? What was your key takeaway? And I'm looking forward to seeing you all on the next episode of Into the Mind. You guys enjoy the rest of your day.